everybody. Uh, I'm Bob Moss. Uh, I'm the head of music at Twitter. Um, Mark roped me into this uh, so we could have a little bit of fun. We have, a, I think, a treat for ourselves here to wrap this up. Um, on stage, we have um, platinum sales records. We have Grammy Awards. We have magazine covers, MCM channels, television shows, uh, a, a robust rolling papers business, I believe. Um, we've got all kinds of interesting, um, uh, what would you call it, cross-pollinated music, brand, lifestyle uh, experience up here. So let's, let's do this. Let's go down um, one by one and just introduce ourselves. Quick statement about who you are and where you've been. Um, the people have the bio, so do it more about like your... Uh, where I was this morning, where I've been. Yeah, there you go. Where you, where, where, why you're here today, like why this audience, why this event is important to you. Got it. Um, Nick Adler. Uh, two companies that are really affiliated with. One is called Stampede Management. It's a 360 music management company and actually lifestyle management and uh, um, you know, also manages Snoop Dogg, so it kind of speaks for itself. And then the Cashmere Agency, which is a full service marketing agency. And um, we, uh, we work with big brands and we try to translate the message through music and, and, and art to you know, millennials and multicultural consumers. Um, and you know, we're here, I'm here because just appreciate what's going on in the synergy of technology, art, music, and, and, and uh, what's happening in the world. And you know, we've learned a lot uh, through technology and through, through venture capital, through angel investors, and, and we've been able and been fortunate to, to uh, join this world and, and, and um, see, see new deals and enter those deals. So that's what we're here. Uh, I'm D.A. Wallach. I'm originally a recording artist, and I still make music uh, some of the time. And over the past few years have become an aspiring venture investor um, I have some uh, companies in my portfolio like SpaceX, Spotify, Doctor on Demand, um, and I'm increasingly looking at a lot of things in consumer healthcare and bioinformatics. Um, and I also have started writing essays this year about technology and media in particular. Awesome. My name is DJ Ski and beyond uh, just DJing and hosting a television show, I also have a company called Schematic that we started about almost um, close to a decade ago where we, you know, we were pretty much the first lifestyle daily video channel on YouTube and since then have you know, gone out to you know, become one of the biggest music video production houses to you know, launching you know, what now is, is our new project called Dash Radio, which is one of the you know, hot startups in the music space that you know, we just crossed 100 million listens over the past you know, five months since our launch without any money spent on marketing or promotions and uh, you know, just doing fun, cool stuff with people like this. Um, I'm the resident rapper in the room. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, I, I'm a, a rapper, and um, I started off, uh, you know, doing mixtapes, sold a lot of mixtapes, sold a lot of independent records, uh, had a platinum album, and uh, made a lot of money in the music industry, and uh, was very um, on the forefront of tech when it comes to artists. Most artists didn't understand tech. I sold a lot of ringtones and broke a lot of records at a time when people weren't really focused on that type of stuff. And then I got really excited about tech and started trying to be, bridge the gap between the entertainment community, uh, artists, and um, you know, the tech community. And um, I guess I started advising for companies, started investing, had a little bit of success, met Mark Suster, who uh, has helped me with a lot. And um, now I'm here on the you know, panel. All right, so Cam, I'll start, I'll start with you. And um, I don't know if anybody know Cam's hit song. There are hit songs, and then there are hit songs. And Ride Dirty was like a planetary <laughs> smash. Like this is not a, this is not like a, mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah, we had this cool song, we had this band in college, we had a hit, a couple of hits. Yeah. You, so let's talk about Ride Dirty as an asset. Like right. a, how do you look at that and go, okay, 
I can make some money from this, the money's gonna come for an amount of time, but what's your perspective on why you diversified, why you started changing the way you were spending your time? Well, first, when I got involved in music, I never did it because I wanted to make money. I never did it because I wanted to have a platinum record. Um, you know, I won a Grammy. I never did it to win a Grammy. Like, my Grammy is in a, a box under my fish tank. I never pulled it out, right? Because it was about passion for music, right? So I made this song. song cost about $4,000 to make. And originally at a record label, um, the record label thinks big. And they like, we're going to go get the biggest producer out. At the time, it's this guy named Scott Storch. We make this record. It costs about $250,000 to make. And this is supposed to be, because it costs so much, it's going to <laughs> propel you to superstardom. So I sell about half a million records. I did all right. And then they wanted me to go to another bigger producer, Timbaland. He's going to spend half a million dollars on, a, on one track, one song. And I was like, I don't know. That's too much. And the label was not trying to hear that. They were like, well, you're going to go because this one didn't work out as much. And I was like, man, we got good records here that sound good. Let's just focus on these. And because I was so um, rebellious against the label, they were forced to just go with whatever I had. And it's this record, $4,000, it just breaks every record. Like, I, I sell 1.5 million records. I break the ringtone record before anybody did. I was like the highest seller selling master tone artists. Um, you know, and it's a time where I'm sitting at an award show and 50 Cent is sitting in front of me and he turns around and tells me that I'm about to win. And I'm like, and then they put the spotlight on me and then Snoop Dogg <laughs> gives me my award, the VMA. You know, and it's like, it, it just, it, it, the record takes off so big that I never would have imagined. But then... You're like, I gotta be a VC now. <laughs> no, so now they're like, you have to replicate it again, you know? Right. And there's a lot of people like, um, my business partner, Nasilo's back there. He, a lot of y'all have seen him walking around with me at this conference. And he grew up with Big Boy from Outkast, who also is here. You've seen him walking around. It's telling in itself that Big Boy from Outkast, one of the largest, most legendary selling group of all time, is at a VC conference. Just think about that, you know? Yep. That, that, that tells you how, and he's not hurting. He can buy everybody in here a Phantom Rolls Royce, you know? <laughs> so, so, but that tells you the direction that everybody is looking when it comes to tech because, you know, you have to find a way to diversify because for me, a song wasn't enough because they treat, treat an artist to be like, you know, to go chase cash, go do a show here and just get cash and I'm in the business of equity. So I'm actually an artist that learned how to administrate my own album, uh, my publishing, universal publishing. They'll talk directly to me. There's no manager, no middleman. So I had to learn a lot and started knowing how to do a deal with Spotify or knowing how to do a deal with uh, Volkswagen Global for my song and a commercial. Or you know, Coca-Cola reached out and wanted to do a deal, a licensing deal. So I learned all these aspects of how to, you know, uh, to do business. And then as I learned so much, I started wanting to go share that with my peers. That's very cool. All right, so Nick. Having heard that, a lot of the things that Cam did himself, you provide as a service, right? That is your, that is your business, right? You have your fingers as Cashmere, the management company, the MCN, like all the different parts, in an unbelievable number of, of businesses. On, on one level, it's the house that Snoop built, but on another level, it's like a lot of little tiny businesses that you've built and added, added together. How do, you, how do you compare that to, towards you know, um, compare that to sort of like your role as a manager 10 or 15 years ago and how you have to really be savvy these days around return, investment, yeah. equity in the platforms you put your artist on, that sort of thing. Right. Well, <clears throat> I think um, a lot of what was built there was as, uh, built because of the same problems that we were seeing with labels. I mean, we realized that, we, that they were ignoring a lot of revenue opportunities and 
those opportunities we could frankly do better, um, you know, especially when you're focusing on a small group of artists as opposed to you know, a wide breadth of artists. So you know, internally we were able to you know, focus on, on segments of, of PR and, and content and, and social media management and, and distribution. So um, those were all necessities that I think a few years ago uh, could be segmented and, and we could run around and do them all, all differently. Um, you know, I think one other thing is that we are truly millennial fueled. Like we are, it's, it's super young and people are just running around and creating. It it's really, really replicates what you see in the culture of people between the ages of 13 and 30 right now. So, you know, that is sort of symbolic of the company. But as we've grown, we've had to refine those many 15 agendas that we have. And at its core, you know, Cashmere is, is at its core and Cashmere is a creative agency. And I know agency is that word, it's, a, it's kind of sometimes a bad word, but we're, we're, it's really proud, we're really proud of that word because it is something that, you know, we, we've perfected a language and that language is who people come to us because they want um, they want us to translate it, you know, whether it's whether it's a Pepsi or a PayPal or Adidas or 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 an artist. And you know, frankly, Snoop, who who you said, you know, the kind of the house of Snoop built. Yeah, you know, we, we give a ton of credit to Snoop because he was he's a global media brand. Um, when we aligned with him, he he was he's always been a megastar, but he wasn't a refined, I think, media brand. So through all the stuff we've all learned together, we figured out how to take a, a, this personality. I mean, he's driven it, so I don't want to take credit for it. But we've collectively figured out how to work together to create this global, I say empire, but this global distribution network, utilizing the social tools and, so, and all those things. And it's come through you know, a lot of research that's been developed in that building. You, know, you referenced like, the MCN idea. I mean, obviously, we started that a couple guys with cameras shooting Snoop Dogg. Talk, yeah, you had GGN like, in the yeah, back of the I mean, loading dock, right? And I, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, I know very quickly that Snoop came to, to me and a colleague one day, and he was like, hey, I want to do a show in the hood about the news. And he was like, okay. Like, do it. Yeah. Show so of we, hands if you've ever seen GGN. That's oh, pretty, you're missing out. Good. It's the best. It's on YouTube. Yeah. So, so anyway, so we, we did it, and we shot a show, and over um, shooting it consistently and, and distributing it every single week on YouTube for three years. We've now amassed the, a 1.2 million you, you know, subscriber base. You know, now brands are advertising that base. But, but the point I was trying to make before is that we were doing it kind of on our own with a couple cameras. Once we figured out there was a business and a model here, you know, we had, we, we had great partners. We went out, we met Courtney and, and the guys at Maker Studios, and, and um, you know, they allowed us the resources and, and, and the funds to then build it out of there, go partner with them. And you know, now it's not running out of our building. Now it's, you know, it's the, ed the head of production you know, manages it, and, and we have this, this massive company who um, we partner with on everything. So, you know, and, that, and, and you're able to grow. So I think that's an example of how we did a lot of little businesses and we still incubate, but we really focus on the creative work and, and that stems a lot of other stuff. All right. Ski, I'm going to start with you and then I'm going to ask the same question to Ski and DA because they'll, they'll answer it from different perspectives. So you're both artists. Mm -hmm. You both know a lot about um, user experience and the quality and the, the, the way it is that we consume content today, right? We consume from trusted sources, we consume in delightful experiences. Um, in Ski, in your case, you have started a company, Dash Radio, that has entered a admittedly hot space, but one that is full of gorillas and heavily funded, um, you know, large platform plays and lots and lots and lots of money. Um, you are not doing that. That's not your you know, role in that ecosystem. I'm curious to hear, uh, both of yours, both of your opinions, skis first, on product differentiation for music streaming, yeah. right? Are these utilities or are they new labels or curators or trusted sources? What's the difference in where I get my consumption from? 
And how, as artists, do you guys think about the financial debate? Well, we're kind of in an interesting space with, with what we're doing with Dash Radio because the word radio has kind of been almost in a weird way utilized in, in outside of the traditional box that it was that it was you know made for. So what we like to say that we focus on is broadcast. So my background, you know, everything that gave me my start and put me on TV gave me you know the access to, to move to LA when I was 17 and you know was was starting on, on radio back when I was 16 in in Minnesota and that was my passion and love and you know I ended up for the past 10 years being on the biggest station in the country on the biggest broadcaster with you know as well as the biggest satellite provider so when we look at what we're doing we're focused on live broadcast which is music curated a finite amount of stations by the biggest DJs and biggest content curators in the world so we kind of looked at the broadcast world and there's really only two people doing what we're trying to do we don't look at like even you know the streaming services the Spotify's the beats the even Pandora to some extent is competing with us we look at those guys as your music libraries so growing up traditionally there was always, you know, you had tape, CD, and LP, and then a radio. And radio was where you would discover music, where you'd find something, where you'd hop in the car, turn it on, and it would just be there versus, you know, what we don't do is if you want to hear DA's album or Cam's album, we're not the place. If you turn to one of our hip-hop stations, you're going to definitely hear his record over the course of a couple hours, but it's not going to replace you buying that. We don't want to enter that space because, like you said, it's crowded. It's, there's so much movement in there, and it wouldn't differentiate ourselves. So we really focused on creating the, you know, the live broadcast experience. And when you look at radio, it's worked for the past, you know, century. It's, it's started in the 20s. And it was the original, like, when you really break it down, it was the first social network. Radio was the first time the world gathered around to hear something as, as a community live. And it's really the last element we feel of the entertainment business that still has been stuck in, in analog, in the analog era. It's primarily delivered through FM antennas. And even for the sake of the conversation, we'll say satellite, where you need expensive hardware. And what we've been able to kind of come in and do is, is look at the space and see what, you know, everybody's talking about the connected car and the internet of things. So we see there being a huge change where you don't need the FM antenna and that's why the other guys are even changing the names of their companies and we, we were there and I've, I've been able to witness what they have but we're kind of coming in and we, we looked at the model and it's like look we don't need to spend all this huge overhead there was a huge barrier of entry for FCC licenses for broadcast antennas and AM signal out here in LA sold for 10 million dollars a couple months ago and that only covers 30 square miles plus you have to staff up and just spend a ridiculous amount of money to start a radio station so we came in and kind of looked at it and we're like, hey, if we can kind of, now you don't need the, that, that huge overhead, let's focus on, on, on broadcasting. And in a weird way, became an MCN where we've partnered with some of the biggest, you know, brands and curators, and especially looking at radio, one small thing, sorry to talk so much, is that, you know, there's 10 formats that dominate the airwaves with repetitive playlists, and we've been able to come in and focus on all the underserved genres. All, you know, EDM is one of the biggest forms of music in the, the world right now. Hundreds of thousands of kids every weekend at festivals, no radio stations for it. Same with teen Wait, so pop. So how do you reach those kids? Like, how are you, like, just practically for everybody here, mm -hmm. like, that's a, that's a customer acquisition yeah. problem. How do you solve it? So in a weird way, we're almost an MCN, or we like to say we're almost the YouTuber radio, although we keep it closed. So we've partnered with the biggest DJs, the biggest brands, the biggest curators, and we kind of come in and handle the whole back-end infrastructure. We have the licensing deals in place. We have the distribution from cars to televisions to the app, and, and come in and provide that platform and do a split with them where we all profit on the upside. And we're really changing a business where artists will say radio is kind of the most expensive element, you know, and it's one big thing that the record labels still hold on to, and we want to flip it from 
something that, you know, it costs a lot of money to get a record on pop radio. There's different, a lot of weird places that money goes, I guess yeah, we can kind of say. And we want to flip that from something that artists are spending out to something that they're actually making by creating this platform and, you know, doing something that nobody else in the market is really doing. So we feel like we're really in a unique lane that nobody else is in in the space. All right, DA, rebuttal? No rebuttal. I mean, I think, I think you know, the, the really great news right now for media uh, in general is that for the first time, the customer is really at the center of the experience. Right. And so you've got a lot of competing interfaces that try to beat each other on the ease of discovery or the kind of machine intelligence that underlies that curation and programming. Um, and it's, it's a great thing because... Uh, ultimately, whoever delivers people the most delightful experience when they want to hear music or watch TV or watch movies is going to win. Um, the reason Spotify, I think, has been an appealing business and has done so well is because you've had an industry that for the past couple of decades has suffered as it's shrunk to about one-fifth of its former size. And circumscribing that transition has been one change, which is that the vast majority of people have stopped paying for music. Um, there was great music throughout recorded music history, but the customer was never really a main part of the conversation. The record label's customer was always the retailer. Uh, the artist's only partner was really the record label or the promoter in the case of live shows. And for the first time ever, you've got everyone competing to win the affection of the people who actually consume the music. Artists through social media recognize that they now have to own that relationship with their fans. And services like Spotify and Dash and all of the others are having to figure out ways to cleverly present music. The, um, the, the problem well, Let me ask you a question yeah. on, this, on that tip, though, right? So yeah. in, the, in a transactional world, the artists actively, aggressively promoted their work at, at the transactional retail place. Yeah. And you drove to retail. You drove people to iTunes. You drove people to go get ringtones all over the place, right? You said, here's where you can go get my stuff. Uh, that doesn't happen yet. That hasn't happened yet, right? In a subscription streaming world, there has yet to be a, a way to empower the artists to be the marketers of those services. Sure. And, well, and a little I, bit of the tide yeah. is, as, seems like it's a resistant to that. Like, you know, yeah. you, you hear different things if you talk to artists at different scales. And right now, in music at least, we effectively have two totally separate businesses. One is kind of the mainstream old guard record label, CAA, publisher ecosystem. And artists who want to become household names have to go through that effectively to, right, right now. But the, the grassroots is much more dynamic. Uh, these artists own their own rights. They can do anything they want with them. It's a trivial problem to figure out how to distribute digitally. You can do it for $99 and be at all the big digital services. Um, and uh, you know, some of the folks in the, in the big system are a little bit nostalgic for the way that they used to be able to get a couple gatekeepers to sign off on Wait, mass exposure. Are you, are you nostalgic or are you interested in paying your staff? <laughs> I, I think I'm in the middle. I really, yeah. because I think the truth is, what I was thinking about hearing what you're saying is that, I, you know, there's the huge artist who doesn't have to do that and drive in, but there's, there's some of the artists that we work, work with, you know, Snoop being one of them, where we need to weave it together. We need to take our subscription service, make sure all those people who hear it, hear it, but simultaneously figure out what, is our, what are we driving people towards? How do we drive them to that playlist? How do we curate that playlist? Some of these playlists, you know, it, it gets ignored, but I think one of our playlists on, on one of the services has a million, a million subscribed listeners, which we don't focus on as much. But there's a collection of, you know, that, it's, it's overwhelming, but our subscription, 
versus our Snapchat, versus our Twitter, versus our Facebook, versus Snoopify, an app we built our own, on our own, and our YouTube 1.2 million, like, and I go to Pharrell, who has 1 million, and I go to Wiz Khalifa, who has 2 million, and I go, hey guys, let's get together. We have 15 million eyeballs or ears. That's a lot of power. Like, let's go to the right person, and now let's make some real money. So I think there's a thought, and there's this movement there, um, and then, you know, what does that say for, for tech and these companies, you know, and, and, and Dash, and we, we can drive and build together, like, you know, we're, we're, and that's why, you know, we're all in these rooms, and these, there's a, co a connection here. So I went off on a total No, that's, that's a good answer. I, I, let's just, let's do it practically as an investor. Yeah. Are you, that you would be bullish? Like, you have money in, in streaming, subscription streaming services? Um, do I, we have, we have, no, not really, to be honest, but I would, and I'm being, I mean, straight here, I think Songza, which Google purchased, was the most undervalued purchase. I think that, that product is beautiful. And, um, you know, we saw Beats take elements of that product and, 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 and marry it into what they were doing. And those guys, part of the Google infrastructure, are such a resource and a power. This music is such a dialogue. It's such a, a language. So... Um, you know, I, 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 we, keep, we haven't really sat down and talked about Dash, but I'm watching what they're doing, and I'm like, God, I, I w they're so smart, so smart. So it's got to be, the, it's the same thing any VC or, or is going to look at. It's got to be an awesome team. It's got to be a good-looking product. It's going to have the ability to grow and scale, but there's, I, I, we will go bullish on the music product. It's just got to be the right product. You're, I know you have your own money in Spotify, yeah? Well, you know, it's, it's uh, become a real cash flow business. People pay us two, three billion dollars a year to hear music. And paying to hear music has become a much less popular activity over the past few decades. So <laughs> our premise is that if we offer a good enough experience, we can convince millions and millions more people to come back into a paid legal ecosystem for, for discovering and enjoying that content. And if we continue to do that, it's going to be a great business. And other people are going to build great businesses that way as well. You are, right? Yeah, since we're talking about monetization, I mean, and I think that's what a lot of this room is probably interested in. Uh, what, <laughs> the way that we, we're kind of doing it is, is a little bit different. So we're not a subscription service. We want to, again, we're going at the cores of what radio's been, which has always been a free service. You, you buy the album, you, you discover it on radio for free, and uh, that's why our licensing fees are a little less and, and, and different things. But we almost look at ourselves as uh, monetizing the same, white, the same way that Vice does. When you look at consumers, today traditional radio has 15 minutes of ads per hour, which we just don't think works especially in the digital space. I know even when I see a pre-roll on any app or anything, I just close it out and find something else just because I won't watch it. I don't have the patience. I don't have five seconds of my life to give up for that way. And kids are trained that way. So we've gone in, and because we're not like you know, other services that might call themselves radio, we have live DJs. We have a finite amount of stations. So we've done things like title sponsorships of stations. We can have the DJs read and talk about the product in their own, in their own language. Because we have the screen, we can utilize the screen real estate for pop-up ads. Especially we have some cool things we're going to roll out in the vehicles, such as you know, almost like what Waze uses, location-based data. And one cool element that we're able to do is really, and the reason I say Vice is create like what we did with FIFA and EA Sports was created a station around FIFA 15. So we created a pop-up station that, because it's, it's typically an element, it's a super cool soundtrack for the video game, biggest video game in the world, and um, it usually gets lost in a press release. So we created a whole station around it that not only premiered the soundtrack, but we came in, we broadcast the launch events live. We brought in Clint Dempsey, who's the captain of the US men's soccer team and the artist on the soundtrack to talk about sports, music, all these, and video games, and it was a natural conversation. 
they weren't reading a script like, oh, it's available October 15th for $59.99 MSRP for these systems. They put it in their own wor words, and it wasn't forced down people's throats. And over that time, we had an incredible amount of listens that really shows the type of innovative, cool things we could do on this platform that isn't really available through, through anywhere else. All right, Cam. Um, are you investing in Dash? You just, heard, you just heard the whole thing. <laughs> right? yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put you on the spot. Well, you, look, you, you've had some, you have, have a really great track record emerging, right? Like you've had made some really good choices, had some really nice returns on the venture side. Yeah, I want to I touch on that point about, um, you know, the Spotify thing. Um, as an artist, the artist in me, I often kind of feel sorry for other artists and musicians because, um, you know, when I started investing, well, first, the, the state of the music industry is designed to rip off an artist. That's what I believe. I believe that when the check gets handed to an artist, the check is normally not right. The first person that told me this was Nelly. Nelly told me, you know, you got to learn how to do this thing called an audit. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and then he was like, man, you got to get a lawyer. And so I searched. I found Jay-Z's auditor, right? And then this guy went and said, I'll do it for, you know, I'm not going to charge you up front. I'm going to take a piece. And I was like, okay. So he goes and he finds over $600,000 that the label hid for me. So I was like, wait a second, is this the way it always is? He's like, yeah, you gotta keep on doing this. So I realized all my peers <laughs> didn't know this, that you know, I, used to, I got into the music industry and thought that when you, you know, have a song that's number one, that it just goes magically because your song's good, it's paid. Like, is not supposed to be like a thing, but it, it's real. Like, I had to pay a lot of money to get my record to number one. And I started looking at the music industry differently, and all of my peers, I started focusing more on equity, right? I wasn't the guy that was going out and trying to chase a piece of a show that somebody's gonna pay me 10,000 to do. I wanted to get a piece of the actual thing that was holding these buildings up. So I realized all these guys weren't thinking like that. And the way I got off of Universal when they didn't wanna let me go is I told them, if you don't let me go, I'm gonna go teach all these guys on the label how to do an audit. <laughs> and they let me go because of that. They didn't want to pay all that money. So I, I, I was talking to my lawyer at the time, who's Don Passman, and he's, you know, Oprah's lawyer. He doesn't have, you know, rappers. Is, you know, I'm the only one. Mm -hmm. So he, I'm like, man, let's go do this tech stuff, man. There's this industry that's just cannibalizing this music industry. Let's, let's go get involved in this stuff. And he wrote the book on the music industry, and he was like, I can get you out of this deal and get you to another deal, you know? And I was like, I don't want to be in this place because it's designed for us to fail. We're chasing riches and not wealth. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go, you know, try to mess with this tech stuff. I started advising. The first company I started advising for got bought by Google. And that's when I knew it was real. I was like, whoa, this is, this is a real thing. I started putting money in other companies. Luckily, got into Maker Studios. Bam, big exit, right? And unfortunately, I was telling people before, like, hey, you need to come and get into these, this tech. And it's hard because this learning curve of trying to convince these big celebrities to give their money to somebody else when, you know, Twitter needs to give me a million dollars to tweet. You know what I mean? So then I started realizing, wait a second, this is, I'm in the job, I'm in the business of getting equity and it's, it's hard when I hear about streaming audio and stuff like that because on the investor side or the consumer side, I love it. But from the artist standpoint, I'm just watching this industry just go like that and it, it kind of like hurts me to, oh, sorry about that. It kind of <laughs> hurts me to, it hurts me to see that this, 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 these people that were my, my legends fall off and not have any money and trying to figure out what to do, you know? You don't have any. You don't have any music streaming, music-related investments currently. I would invest. I'm an investor, so would, I, I right. feel like I'm more that than an artist now. So I would love to be on Spotify. You know, if they'll have me. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, uh, looks like we're doing okay on time. All right, Nick, so let's do, let's talk about this. Um, let's talk about the power of brand, right? Because a lot of times, in, especially in technology, we, we think, hey, there's no marketing budget, there's no advertising, it's quality product, great user experience, and the network effect has to be part of the product. That's the, that's the way the thing works. And then, oh, what happens when these tastemakers, people whose, whose endorsements, whose likes, or whose, whose uh, you know, retweets and, and favorites are worth more than others start to come to these, to these platforms? How do, you, how do you guys deal with the, 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 the influence of the brands that you look after? Like, how do you preserve equity there? How do you view the, the, the services coming to you for, for user growth? Oh, well, um, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's the, there's the blue chip brands that we expect a lot of money from. It's, it's straight transaction, you know, and, and that um, we've gotten pretty good at. And, and, and we, you know, when, when the music revenue was, was dying, the, at that time, the opportunity was in brand revenue. So that's where we went to town. I think we did a pretty good job of it. Um, it's not a lot of things we don't endorse, but, um, but again, we look at ourselves as, a, we look at our, some of the artists as media, and the artists themselves look at themselves as media brand, and that's how we can, you know, we sort of translate that. But when it comes to the technology stuff, and, and in particular the, the um, you know, if an app or a startup comes to us and says, hey, you know, how can we play together? And that's happened, you know, for many years now, everything, you know, early, um, and we didn't, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. I, did, I was green, I tell this story all the time, but I was green, I mean, I was, I, I'm the guy who missed Instagram by putting, you know, Snoop as the first artist on Instagram when there was a couple hundred thousand users there. And I'm still waiting for those warrants. I don't think they're going to come. But, um, but basically, you know, you live and you learn and, and you figure it out. And, and somebody told me at some point, hey, you guys got to put some money in the game. And, you know, we're like, that's crazy. Why would, why would we do that? You know, we're going to pay them to endorse them. But, you know, you miss a couple and then you, and then you, you, get, a, you get a feeling for some of them. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it. Now, now, it's funny because and I know there's probably a lot of people in this room who think it. There's become this philosophy and this and this this thing that Y Combinator and everybody tells them, tells everybody like nobody gets in for free now. Like you, they have to pay. So people come to us with like zero users, and like kind of a mediocre product, but some cool um, angels in them, and they're like, you guys got to get in. Like we'll get in. We'll, we'd love to support this. This is a cool product. We'll we'll figure out how to develop it together. Fifty grand. Uh, no, you should pay us. So. Or, or we'd do it for free for an, for an advisory position. And that's like become like a terrible thing to say, but the truth is it's, I, I, I'm believing it more and more and more now that there's more and more competition in the market and less products that, that, that are, are awesome. So it really, we look at things in three, three ways. One is um, if it's a pure endorsement, it's, and we're gonna just bring our audience and we're gonna help uh, raise profile and, and raise audience, then that could be a straight revenue deal, straight payment to us. The other is a The other is we love it. We want to be in it. We'll pay to be in it. I mean, you know, Reddit. Reddit was like the dream. It was like the perfect, perfect, perfect um, uh, investment for us because that audience, Snoop, Combine, Trees, Weed. It just it makes perfect sense. You know, <laughs> we'll pay you. We'll pay you a lot of money, and we did at a, at a high valuation. And we believe we'll get a. You know, we can play a, a role there. And then there's the third is like a lot of startups who come in and say, hey, we, we want in and we're gonna say to them, well, okay, well, we're gonna help you not just with Snoop, but with our marketing company and with um, you know, uh, 
people who, who have understood and built in this industry, but we're not gonna pay. We want some kind of advisory role or something like that. So we kind of look at it like that, and, and those, are, those are rare these days, but I think they'll come back. And Cam, have you done deals like that? Like, what's your experience there? Um, deals like what? Where, where, you have, where, where you have, as the advisor, as the advisor right, had done, done it without investing? Um, I believe, well, um, the, the first company that I advised for, they actually wanted to make an artist the face of the company. And I think people's approach when it comes to celebrity a lot of times is wrong. You know, there's a lot of people in the app store that might have an okay product or a very good product and they just need this attention or these eyes. So they say, you know what, let's just get a celebrity. A celebrity will tweet and will blow up, right? But, you know, I, I think that sometimes the relationship with a celebrity can be different. Instead of their face on it, this celebrity has made it across the world, has traveled across the world, has a, a, a great deal of resources, and you can tap into that resource pool, right? And I think that's the proper way to do it. So I went to this company and told them, I don't think you should make an artist the face of the company. I really don't. You know, I think that, you know, you should, you should get all the artists in the music industry using this thing. And they were like, well, how are we going to do that? And I was like, you're looking at them. And so they didn't really believe it. They're like, everybody says that. So what happens was I asked them, like, who do you want? And they started giving me a list of artists. And because I'm an artist and a lot of them respect me for business, I made a bunch of calls. And I, I had no equity or anything in the company. I went and got him a whole bunch of people. A lot of people started using it. Chris Brown used it. He left a message, went on TMZ, blew up. All the artists were figuring out, like, how the heck is he doing this? And the next thing you know, um, they're, 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 you know, the CEO is talking to me like, hey, we want to give you advisory stock in this company. And this, and that's how it happened. I was just providing value ahead of time. It wasn't like a transactional thing where I was like, hey, I'm only going to do this if you give me this. I was just providing value. And they did the right thing because they saw me working towards a goal. So then the CEO was like, okay, we got this vision to take over the world. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then, you know, two months later, he's calling me, telling me that Google bought the company. And I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? And like, he's like, well, don't worry about it. You're going to make money. And I was just like, no, but what does that mean for like the audience I built up on your platform? And he was like, well, we'll figure it out. So what happened was Google hired those guys. Those guys started working for Google and they shut the company down. So I've got 200,000, 300,000 fans or users on their platform and it's all gone. And I got tired of the cycle over and over, MySpace, whatever company. And you just, I'm not on Instagram now for the same reason. It's like I'm tired of trying to build up a platform and then getting my users, which I think are mine and they're not really mine. And it was like, you know what? I just started looking at things different. But a lot of my peers in the music industry think I'm an alien because they're like, you know, you're the only person not on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, you know, oh well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a funny thing. I mean, the main thing, when what a lot of people don't realize from artists and brands, and it kind of touched on it, Cam touched on it, is that it's really all about when it boils down, what we've experienced and the way that we operate is it's all about authenticity and credibility and, and making it real. People can tell so quickly when things are paid or do whatever, and that's why you're seeing now, you know, major, major artists get paid to endorse a product. They send out some tweets, and yeah, it'll get you a little attention, but in a weird way, there's a couple companies out there that it's actually backfired on and actually hurt their valuations because people have looked at their numbers and said, 
oh, that's only because X, Y, and Z, who has 20 million followers tweeted out, they're only there for, for him. And it's, it's not real. It's just a, a glorified fan club for that. So in the way that we've kind of built some of the stuff with Dash is we've gone out and provided you know, a benefit to the artists where it's you know, a whole new outlet for them to get heard. And especially as music has expanded beyond just the typical 10 genres. There's so many different artists in all these different subgenres. And given them this platform where not only do they not have to pay to get on, we're, we're really playing the best authentic things, but we're partnering with some of, up with some of these guys they can actually monetize it and we haven't we've gotten all our views all of our traffic all of our hype and what we've been up four and a half months without spending we haven't spent a dollar on marketing promotions PR or anything we've let the we've let our you know our DJs our brands our partners spread the word on it organically in their own way like a great example are these kids odd future who, who we teamed up with and launched a station and these are kids that proudly would never be on radio. They're weirdos and all that. They have a TV show that's very successful. They do you know, a huge carnival at the LA Coliseum every single year and have a massive following, yet it's not mainstream at all. And again, kids said they'd never be on radio. The night we launched their station, it was put out, no press release, anything. Their manager tweeted out something saying, we have a new radio station, Odd Future on Dash. Either it'll be cool or it could be a massive failure. Listen if you want. That night we had more listener than any FM station in the entire country, and, and it's grown, and these are kids that never were at radio before. So as long as it's organic, authentic, and a good product, like it really spreads itself, and that's the way that I've always operated with things, and it has to be things where everybody wins, the consumers, the brands, the artists, everybody involved. There can't be one missing, missing link in that, or it's a failure. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a weird moderating thing here. The band is like totally riveted over here. I'm staring right in the band. They're like hanging on everybody's word. Questions from the band. Let's have a question from the band. <laughs> oh, <now. laughs> oh, add to the Put you on the spot. Come on, band. Okay, they heard it. They got it. Yeah, I, I'm extremely optimistic about the future of life for artists. And there are really two reasons for this. Um, and they address, to some degree, Cam's complaints earlier about the record industry, which all of us who have been in it appreciate. Um, one of the reasons, there, there are two things that have made life really difficult for artists. One is that people have stopped paying for music. And the solution to that is to get people to pay for music again. Uh, for the first time ever, I think there's the promise that that will happen again. And in fact, it is happening again. This is why companies like Spotify are attracting so much attention. Um, now, we're bailing water out of a boat that has a huge hole in it. And the physical CD business continues to decline, and downloads are starting to take a hit now as well, because the consumers moved on. The most popular music service in the world is YouTube today. And it's basically free to everyone who uses it and pays out very, very low rates. So if you're 16 years old or less, Chances are that's how you consume the vast majority of your music. And the challenge we all have to unite together to solve is to migrate those consumers from these free environments into paid legal licensed environments. The second problem that I think even, even more specifically connects to what Cam was talking about is that the industry traditionally suffers from an insane lack of transparency at every level. Um, I recently wrote a piece about this because you've got a number of problems related to this. One, it, there's no centralized global data set around who creates music, who owns the rights to it, who should get paid when it gets exploited in the world by music services or TV commercials or film studios or anything. Um, and you also have very little transparency for artists into the ways that they get paid. Now, if you're independent and you're distributing through a TuneCore or a CD Baby, which are 
software services you can pay to get your music out into the world. You have much more transparency than you did. But if you're going through a major label, it's extremely difficult. Some of this is nefarious, and you know the industry is not a paragon of integrity. But uh, a lot of it also is just the result of very, very old, rusty infrastructure. Uh, and right now, the way that money moves around the world, for artists in particular, in very tiny slices and for all sorts of different usages in unattributed ways and with very sloppy metadata, makes it really hard as an artist to know where the checks are coming from. And I think a lot of us can probably relate to the experience of, you know, you kind of like every month get a random check in the mail and you don't really know what it's for. And you don't know if that was from something two years ago in Finland or yeah. whatever. Um, I believe that uh, technology more generally, and especially things like decentralized protocols like Bitcoin, represent an opportunity to update and modernize all of that infrastructure. And there's no reason today that an artist uh, whose music has been released yesterday cannot see all of the cash flows related to uh, that music's exploitation all around the world, cannot be paid instantly, um, cannot audit in real time. So I think these are all uh, sort of tailwinds for artists. And it's going to take a while, but over the next 10 or 15 years, I'm, I'm really positive about uh, the prospects for people making money, making music. Artists uh, will also benefit by a greater competition by investors to fund music. And that depends, again, on the music becoming a higher-valued asset in the world. Right now, it's extremely risky for a record label to fund music. And so you see the amounts they spend on it uh, pressed down over time. But I, th I think uh, you know, as the consumer starts to pay again, it's going to grow the whole pie. You feeling reassured yet? Feeling reassured? Are you feeling reassured? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I, laughs> Be reassuring. Um, I, I don't want to be like pessimistic, you know. Um, I'm very optimistic for the future of the music industry. The thought of a CD, right? You know, you get a, a, a Mac laptop, there's no CD slot in there. The new Hondas are coming out, they don't have CDs in them. The future of cars will not have CDs in them. So, of course, you know, Spotify and streaming audio places look very sexy, right, for the future. So if you're a millennial and you're coming up in this music industry and you never had a Ja Rule budget, <laughs> Nothing to worry about, right? Because you've never touched those millions and millions of dollars, right? But there's the people that I grew up on, the legendary artists from like Jay-Z to Nas and all these people that I want to see them making music. And unfortunately, because the music industry isn't making as much money, and, and eventually Spotify and all these things will be the main source for income for all these people, it's just this long road to get there, that's the problem. And in the meantime, those guys are trying to figure out what to do. So I see this guy in a Burger King commercial or something, and I'm looking back like I'm bothered by that because I want you to make music. You, you know, it, it affects my mood when I wake up. Oh, y'all did a rebuttal. <laughs> oh, well. No, not Burger King. You know, so, so if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're a millennial and you're coming up and you're trying to um, get involved in the music industry, it's promising. The future is bright, right? It, it can get to a place where eventually you'll be making money. And I think it's more about like standing out from the rest of the people. If there was somebody walking around here that had purple hair and everybody went home and they said, hey, do you remember the guy with the blazer? Everybody's going to be like, ah, there's a hundred guys with blazers. But if you say the guy <laughs> with the purple hair, everybody's going to be like, yeah, I remember that guy. You know? So I think it's more about standing out as an artist. But that alone nowadays isn't enough to give you the capital to be able to just exist. You, a lot of these artists have to have another job. And that, you know, that, that, that's why their focus a lot of times doesn't completely um, stay with the music sometimes. Sometimes they give up and an artist that could have been the next Lord or the next whatever ends up giving up because 
they couldn't sustain a living, a proper living. You know, was that was that your motivation, or was it more about you got passionate about more passionate about something? Else? I had to make it. I had to make it. I was living in a one-room condominium with my mother, right? And my mother's eating cereal for dinner, and I'm looking at her like, man, I'm working all these jobs. You know, my dad's not around. Uh, the next door neighbor gets shot and killed. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I gotta find a way, you know, I gotta make it. So I'm, I'm going doing multiple jobs, not making that much money to sustain my family. And I was, you know, luckily rap took off for me, but once it started even a slight trajectory upwards, then I was like, okay, I'm gonna go all the way in. So I think a lot of artists need the pain, you know, because the pain sometimes pushes you, even if you're a startup founder and you're having issues with raising money or even, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to feel sorry for VCs and LPs because they are messed with so much money. It's like, boo-hoo, yeah, you, you, know, you couldn't raise another 250 million, you know? But, um, you know, for the artists that can't, like, eat food tomorrow, that, I think, is valuable, and I think they need that. So I, I'm not, I don't feel completely sorry for the millennials. Like, he's worrying about going and telling his wife about what he's, he's on the stage at a VC conference. I think y'all doing all right, you know? <laughs> you know, so, you know, so I think that, um, I don't know. You sound, it sounds that there's a lot of parallel there to, to startup life, oh, yeah. right? Like, you, yeah. like I, this has to work. We have a limited amount of funds. And I, I, what I like about that is the point of it. Anything starts to tip up, we got to go all in on that, right? Uh, um, yeah, no, when you, you got when, a little Yeah, I saw there. that. That's the, but, you uh, get off yeah, there, there are a lot of parallels. I think uh, for me, I want to actually be a founder of a company. That's my goal. I, I look uh, and see the ups and downs of these founders and in the tech space, and when I started off in the music industry, I created a company, I went to the uh, VC fund, which was Universal Records, and told them, hey, you need to invest in me. I didn't know it all, I figured it out, they invested in me, I was able to turn it into a, a big you know, thing, and I, I feel like the, the tech space is the reincarnation of that for me. You know? Final thought? To Goldrush, and, and kind of jumping in with this question, music to me is the greatest marketing tool in the entire world, and it's almost like taking it back to the old days. It used to be the kings would pay the gestures to get people to their court. My partner in, in Schematic would always say that, and that's how we've kind of built with these, with these brands. It's looking outside of the box and, and utilizing the power that you guys have as artists, and when you, like, kids know artists more than they know actors or, or anybody else, and that the power is there. It's just figuring out how to monetize it, and Nick has done a great job with, with the things that they've done. Do you guys, as everybody has kind of up here, it's just figuring out what it is. And for musicians, I don't think there's one necessarily clear-cut path like there used to be. It used to be, oh, you tour, you put out an album, you make money and tour. Now there's different ways. It's creating a product, but it has to make sense for your brand. That works for some artists. Some right. artists can just tour all day. Some can drop EPs, albums, singles. It just depends on who, who you are as a brand. So I think for each artist, it's, it's, it's up to them to really dig deep and see what they want to do and figure out how to make it happen and get creative. Uh, two sentences, um, takeaway for the crowd. What would you What would you want to say here? What would you What would you be your takeaway? All the challenges that have been afflicting artists are business problems. They're not creative problems, and they're really problems that we need everyone here to solve. Um, media needs better entrepreneurs, and it needs better business minds because these are mafia businesses historically, and they haven't served creative people well. Um, I think a lot of folks act like technology is a new thing. Technology is a constant backbone of human existence. Um, and I think what we really measure our societies moment by are the creative outputs that, that we have. I mean, we look back at Oscar Wilde records, and people are going to love you know, Game of Thrones. And um, th those are the things that we kind of measure ourselves by, uh, not the you know, MacBook Air that's already obsolescent. 
So uh, I think we, we need more great investors and thinkers to come from the technology and business communities into media. Um, and, and we need to be more welcoming to, to good thinkers. It needs to be easier to license content. It needs to be easier to deal with artists. And I think the good news is that, as you see today, a lot of artists have a great appetite for engaging with these transitions. So uh, I th I'm, I'm very happy about where things are going. All right, Nick, you get the, you get the last word. Last word is to the band, stick with it if you love it. <laughs> to the audience, let's go eat. Yeah, let's go eat. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thanks much. <laughs> That's it.